You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Today is Sunday, September 18th, heading towards the finish line in our series, Romans, the Declaration. Marty Solomon joins us this week for Romans chapter 15 in a sermon titled, Instructing One Another. We have two weeks left in our Romans series, and I don't want to waste any time. You guys ready to just jump right in? All right, excellent. Let's just do it. Romans 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, this statement doesn't exist in a vacuum. If you were here last week in Romans 14, this statement comes on the heels of a very intentional conversation. Paul's been talking about there are disputable matters, which, first of all, there are disputable matters. That's a lesson in and of itself, I think, for a lot of the church in today. Like for a lot of church, I think there's no disputable matters. There's truth, black and white. Paul's like, nope, there is truth. There is black and white, but there are also disputable things. There are disputable things. There are things that you and I are just going to see with a different perspective. There are things that we're going to approach differently. Does that make sense? And there's one group of people, and Paul says they have this, he calls it a weak faith, which might in the English kind of give us a, uh, might give us maybe the wrong impression, but the, the idea here is that there's somebody that doesn't think there's this thing, and I'm not allowed to touch that. I'm not allowed to engage that. I, I, my faith doesn't let me, and weak faith in the English may not work quite well, but there are, uh, that's what Paul's referencing here. Those who are strong up to bear with the feelings of the weak, there are people that when they look at these disputable matters, they're like, I'm not, I'm not going to go near that. I'm not even going to touch that. And then there are people that are like, oh no, like the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and as long as we use it the way that God intended it to be used, whether it's a thing or a behavior or whatever, whatever, there are these disputable matters, I'm good engaging that thing, whatever that thing is, whatever that disputable matter is. My faith allows me, I got strong faith, my faith allows me to engage, and there are going to be people that engage it on both sides of the argument. These are disputable matters. These are disputable. Here's my point in repeating that. These aren't like black and white issues of salvation. These are matters that are disputable. We have two people that are doing everything they can to follow Jesus to the best of their ability, understanding, and conviction. Does that make sense? We're not talking about this stuff, we're talking about people, two people that are trying with all their heart, all their soul, and all their might to follow Jesus to the best of their understanding and conviction. And these two people see this thing differently. Does that make sense? I'll keep repeating it until it does. <laughs> because this is important. This is important because we do this in the church all the time. I've been the victim of it. You've probably been the victim of it. We're talking about two people that are trying with all their heart and soul and might to follow Jesus. And they do it differently than me, and I'm going to be like, well, you know, that's not right. Ah, what? This is the sermon I wanted to preach last week, so I just decided I'd preach on Romans 14 instead. No, we'll preach on Romans 15. But it starts here. Does that make sense? Guys, we're not talking about stuff that's like right or wrong. We're talking about stuff where there's differences of perspective. 
and we're going to get in everybody else's way as they try to do their best to follow Jesus? What in the heck are we doing? Does that make sense? First service, you awake this morning? Or am I just really not teaching well this morning? I'm only five minutes in. That doesn't bode well. Okay? These are, these are issues where Paul's like, listen, fall on this side, fall on that side, but whatever you do, make sure that people follow Jesus. Make sure that people see Jesus. So those of you that are like, oh no, I, I, can, I can engage that, I can touch that, I can go there, don't do that in front of somebody with somebody that's like, I can't touch that. Like my conscience won't, I just, I can't touch that. You can't, you're going to get in the way of them following Jesus because that breaks their conscience. And Paul says later in the chapter, apparently with disputable matters, there isn't a right. It's not like the right and the wrong is hidden. Because Paul says, if you act contrary to your conscience, you're in sin. Okay, but which way is right? In these disputable matters, whatever your conscience bears witness to. And if you get in the way of somebody else acting according to their conscience, you lead them into sin. So there are these things which are disputable. And we need to go, run after Jesus. Run after Jesus. That's how you see it? Run after Jesus. Go. We'll talk about it. But at the end of the day, if that's what you hear God telling you and teaching you, go. I don't have to be like, well, I see it differently. Nobody's laughing at my jokes. Okay, I'm moving on. <laughs> we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. So those of you that feel like you're so much more mature, guess what your job is? To die to yourself, to all those immature people. And maybe you might not be as mature as you think you are, but it all ends up working out in the end. Does that make sense? We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Like, I feel like that's a good sermon for today. See you guys next week. <laughs> Each of us should please our neighbors for their good. To build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in scriptures... And the encouragement they provide, apparently, Paul says, after Sermon Club this week, Paul Patterson came up to me, and he was like, so are you going to talk about the endurance taught in the scriptures? And I'm like, I don't know. Tell me more about these things. And he just pointed it out. I was like, I don't know. It just seems to be, he seems to be doing something. And the more I thought about this week, the more I thought, Paul, is, Paul says, listen, if you and I are going to do what we were just talking about, if the strong in the faith are going to bear with the failings of the weak, it's going to take endurance. Do you understand? And Paul says, the scriptures all throughout history have borne witness to this endurance and provided encouragement in doing what's right. Through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, there's that, there's that idea again, gave you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, 
Guys, we cannot, cannot let disputable matters get in the way of people running hard after Jesus. We cannot. We've got to have one mind and one voice so that the, when the world looks at the body of Christ, they see Jesus. We cannot, we have to endure in these things. We have to endure, and it's going to take endurance. It, it's one thing to like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold my tongue, I'm gonna hold my tongue. I just can't hold my tongue anymore. This is gonna take endurance to hold our tongue and to change our attitude to become that like Christ Jesus so that we could have one mind and one voice. I'm not talking about conformity. I'm not saying that everybody has to agree. I'm saying that in spite of our different perspectives, instead of letting those things get in the way of us following Jesus, we encourage each other to follow Jesus. Some of you see the world differently than I see it, right? Say yes. And I see the world differently from some of the ways that you see the world. Let's run hard after Jesus and do the best job we can with how we see it. We're going to run hard after Jesus. One mind, one voice. You may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs... Okay, so there's that idea that Paul introduced... Through the scriptures, we were taught endurance and provided hope. These scriptures, promises made to the patriarchs, have been taught in the scriptures, and now Paul says, and they were put on flesh when Jesus came and showed us how to do this. Jesus took on flesh, walked among us, so that the, let's actually go back a slide, Joe. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Jesus came to show us how the narrative told in the scriptures is supposed to be lived out. We just mapped out our Advent series for this year. It's going to be delicious. Uh, it's it's going to be built around this idea of living word. Of a, of a word that took on flesh. One of, the, one of the ideas here is that God came to show us that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Jesus came to show us what it looks like to be in a world that's incredibly diverse. Jesus came and planted his ministry right in the middle of different worldviews, Pharisee worldviews, Herodian worldviews, pagan worldviews, zealot worldviews, Sadducee worldviews. And Jesus says, I can plot myself right down in the middle of it and show you what it looks like to put God on display. Follow me, Jesus says. I'll show you how to do this. And time and time again, what does he do? He loves. He loves. He loves. He touches lepers. He eats dinner with the outcast. He dines with sinners. He lets prostitutes wash his feet. I'll show you what it looks like to have one mind and one voice. What are Jesus' opinions on half of these things? We don't know. Because he was more interested in showing us how to live together in love. A new commandment I give you, love one another. 
He was more interested in that than he ever was telling us opinions. He wanted to teach us how to live. As it is written, now, okay, as we've learned before, Jewish author speaking to at least a partly Jewish audience, going to quote four different passages here. What's going on? This Jewish rabbi is wanting to take these, what, anybody remember what this is called? What is this called? Remez, very good, very, very good. We are teaching you well, brainwashing you well. Yes, this is called a remez, okay? So a Jewish teacher is about ready to quote four different Old Testament passages. And if you read this in the English, you're like, why is he doing this? This is super awkward to read and it doesn't flow well. And why are you picking that phrase? Like, that's the dumbest phrase. In the, why are you quoting the Old Testament to get that phrase? If you read it in the English, you're just like, this is so frustrating when Paul does this. But when you understand what Paul's doing as a Jewish author to a Jewish audience, you go, oh, wait, time out. Four different passages. It's called stringing pearls. Paul's going to be attaching all four of these passages together in order to preach a sermon within a sermon. Like Paul's got a letter, but then he's doing a whole nother lesson over here simply by quoting four different passages. Now, if you want a deeper breakdown, this is what we did our footnotes on this week. So you can listen to the footnotes podcast. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Okay, he's going to quote four passages. How many? Okay, first one's going to come from 2 Samuel 22. It can also come from the Psalms, but it's the same, same song. And 2 Samuel gives us the context, okay? So he quotes 2 Samuel first. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Well, 2 Samuel 22 is a song that David writes at the very end of his life. And at the very end of the song, he ends with this paragraph that this quotation's taken out of. And the paragraph essentially says this. You can go back and read it for yourself. The paragraph says this, you know what I learned at the end of my life? At the end of my life, I learned that if I'll just let God deal with the vengeance, things work out. If I'll let God take vengeance and just kind of give that up, things work out. And isn't that an apropos quotation for the church in Rome? Because they're like, yeah, we're glad the Gentiles are here But at the end of the day, isn't there a piece of you? I'm asking you to be brave this morning, by the way. I think this is relevant to our culture. I'm not, you don't have to be brave enough. You're going to have to share it. I'm not asking you to nod your head. You can keep it all a secret on your insides. I'm asking you to be brave and courageous enough to admit that in our culture, we have a problem that we still have to continue to deal with. And that is whatever, whatever you want to call it or label it. I'm not going to choose one. We have a problem with a group of those people. Whatever those people are, they range in their variety. But there's those people. And at the end of the day, what we really want, like we hope they come to God, but we also hope that they get what has, you know, we hope they get what God has coming for them. Like, we're glad they're here, but I hope they learn their lesson. I think these Jews, man, we're glad the Gentiles are here, but they, get, they better have a taste of the judgment that the Old Testament said was waiting for them. But don't worry, there's probably no relevance in our culture. I'm asking you to be brave and to admit that we have these things, this people group, that race, this ethnicity. Apparently, it hasn't gone away in our culture like we thought it had. And I know we're in the Northwest, so I know we're sheltered. Just because you don't have to deal with it every day doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because we don't live in Missouri doesn't mean we don't have the same problems. 
Does that make, does that make sense? Okay, okay. Be brave. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. If I'll just let God deal with the vengeance, things work out. Next quotation. Again, it says, rejoice you. No, we got to go back. And again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. Okay, now the second quotation is not going to come from 2 Samuel. It's going to come from Deuteronomy 32. So first quotation was from where? 2 Samuel 22. Second quotation from Deuteronomy 32. Here's the funny thing. Deuteronomy 32 also happens to be a song. Deuteronomy 32 also happens to have this passage in its last paragraph. Only only Deuteronomy 32 is a completely different song. See, Deuteronomy 32 is a song that Moses gives the people right before they enter the promised land. And it's a really dark and disturbing song. Like it's at the end of Torah, they're about ready to enter the promised land, and Moses is like, I want to teach you guys a song. And you're like, yes, this is going to be like an awesome song. Like, (laughs) no. The song basically says this. You're going to screw this story up. That's like Moses' parting gift. Peace. Like, but the rabbis have always taught that in this song, Moses also taught them how to come back. So Deuteronomy, 2 Samuel 22 is David saying, you know what I've learned at the end of the day is if I'll just give God my desire for vengeance, he takes care of my enemies and I don't have to worry about it. The second song is about God's people blowing it. And you know how the song ends? Rejoice, no, 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 let's go back. Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. That's how, that's how the, last para, the last stanza of the song starts. You know what's going to happen when God's people completely blow it, but they come back to God's story? The nations are going to sing praise to God. Ooh, we have ourselves a little rabbinical storyline going. Paul's stringing some pearls here. And then he's going to quote, let's go to the next slide now, Psalm 117, small little psalm, it's only about that big in your Bible, says this, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. You see, the the quotation from Psalm Psalm 117 is is a song that's in their hymnal for the Gentiles to sing. Because they said someday the Gentiles are going to praise God. We were told that they would. We were told that the Gentiles would praise God. So we better have a song for the Gentiles to praise God with. Do you understand what Paul's doing here? Are you following his string? Paul says, you know, if you'll just give your vengeance to God, God will deal with your enemies, like the Gentiles. Then he jumps over here and he says, because you know, by the way, we're going to blow it really bad. But when we finally get back around to God's story, the Gentiles are going to praise God. And we know that it's true because we actually have a song prepared for them to praise God. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next quotation. And again, Yeshayahu says, and he quotes Isaiah 11. Well, Isaiah 11 is one of the biggest Messianic prophecies in the prophecy of Isaiah. It's about what's going to happen when Israel finally comes back and is restored and some would connect it to a messianic figure, a, a messiah figure. We would connect it to Jesus, yes. But there's this, this prophecy that Isaiah tells about what God's people are going to do when, they, when God finally restores and puts it all back together. The root of Yeshai will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and in him the Gentiles will hope. In the Old Testament, in the original Hebrew, it says, 
And in them, Gentiles will find rest, a place of rest. You know what happens when we give our vengeance over to God and allow God to teach us how to come back? The Gentiles praise him, and we actually, this is what we've always been called to do. We were always called to be a people who would give a place of rest and of hope to the Gentiles. Paul says this is a new idea. I can show it to you in the prophet and the law, the prophets and the writings. This has always been what our call is. Our call has always been a root, a branch that would shoot out of Jesse's stump. And this root of Jesse is going to spring up and give the Gentiles a place of rest. I wonder if we were just to change the variables, if there would be things we could learn from this sermon, this passage in Romans. We'd have to be brave, but I think there might be things there. Let's, let's keep going. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Okay. Whoa, time out. Did you catch what he just said? He's speaking to Jews and Gentiles all together at the end of the book of Romans, and he says, I'm convinced that all of you have something you can teach each other. Even the Gentiles? Paul says, yep, let me explain, Paul says. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering. Paul says, I had to learn this. Paul says, I didn't, I didn't know this. I was trained under Gamaliel the elder. I had a PhD from Harvard. And I didn't know this. God had, I had to be humble enough to let God teach me this, Paul says. I didn't know it. But God taught me. He gave me a calling that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul says, I can't take credit for this. I did not know this originally. I was, I was off track. The Jews have a word for that. It's called sin. I was missing the mark. And God had to show me. So I can't boast of this. I didn't figure this out on my own. I figured this out because of what Christ did in me. Because of what Christ did in me, I learned a new lesson about how God wanted to put the world back together. Through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Paul says, by the way, it's this lesson that, it's this thing that Christ taught me and this transformation that's happening inside of me that's actually kept me from ever visiting you. I've never gotten to come to Rome. I've wanted to come to Rome. I haven't been able to come to Rome because God's been teaching me that he wants the Gentiles into the family. 
This is why I've been hindered from coming to you, because I've been learning this lesson. What have you been doing? Have you been learning this lesson, church in Rome? Have you been learning this lesson? Have we been learning this lesson? Uh, Let's keep moving. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you, Paul says, but I'm coming now. Like God's finally got me to a place where I am going to be able to come and see you. So I haven't been able to come and see you because I've been learning this lesson that God wants to teach me, but now I get to come see you. And to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. (laughs) That's missionary speak for I need some money. Um, Trust me, I know. Uh, It's a fundraising letter right there is what that is. It's a total joke. It's a total joke. Chill out. Okay. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people. So I'm coming. I'm now free to come visit you in Rome. But first, I have to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because Macedonia and Achaia, who are they? Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. I got to go to Jerusalem because Gentiles were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. Paul says, I'm going to be coming your way, but first... See, I've been learning this lesson about how God wants to bring the Gentiles in, and it's kept me from visiting you, but I get to come to you now. But first, I have to go to Jerusalem because these Gentiles that I've been learning about gave all of this money to help the poor in Jerusalem. Wait a minute, which group is the Jerusalem? Jews. You see, these Gentiles, they're a part of this Roman culture. If there's anybody coming into the story with a whole bunch of wealth, who is it? The Gentiles. And these Gentiles that are coming to the family gave this huge offering that I got to take to Jerusalem. Okay, now, now hold on. And they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, you see, the Jews have been teachers. The Jews have taught the Gentiles all about God, right? Right? If the Jews have been recipients of, or if the Jews have been teachers to the Gentiles of spiritual blessings, They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task, you see Paul says we all get to teach one another. Because you get to teach the Gentiles all about who God is and the text and the story that we're a part of. But if there's one thing that the Jews are struggling with, what is it? Somebody said it. Generosity, not, not financial, not money. I mean, that's true, practically. But if there's big picture, they're struggling with generosity. So what do the Gentiles get to teach them? (laughs) You see that? You see, these Gentiles are ignorant of the things of Scripture. So you get to teach them that. But you seem to be ignorant of the things of generosity. So let the Gentiles teach you. (laughs) Do you see that? That's good. Them are juicy little vittles right there. You see, this group is struggling with what it means to be generous spiritually. This group's got the generosity thing. They just don't know the actual, like, head stuff. We all get to teach one another. We all get to teach one another. You see, there's a danger if you and I end up in the church and we think we've been put here to teach, like that's our job. 
we're the teachers. And all those new people that are coming in, we get to teach them. No, 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 no. The new people get to teach us. And woe to the church who forgets such things. Because everybody gets to remind us of what the body of Christ looks like. That's how the body of Christ functions. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Isn't that crazy? It might not even be favorably received because it's hard to accept something from that group that you don't like, isn't it? Uh, there was a conversation we were having recently, and I'll leave the names out because I haven't gotten permission to share it. But there was somebody, there was an orphanage uh, that just got hit by a natural disaster, Christian orphanage. And uh, there was an atheist that wanted to give money to, thought, that's a great, I don't have the same belief system they do, but that's a great cause, like taking care of kids. And they do one of the better jobs of taking care of kids here. So I want to give them like this huge bunch of money to help them rebuild and make sure that everything is okay. Wouldn't accept it. Because we know it didn't come from Jesus because he's an atheist. The God of peace will be with you all. No, let me finish that. So I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, we're gonna need to move towards the Lord's Supper this morning. We got some implications to work through and they are doozies. So don't relax. But if our servers want to go back and get the elements ready, um, we're going to pass that out. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have an open table. What that means is that if you want to celebrate the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you are family, and join us at the table this morning. Just hold on to the bread and the juice, and we'll take it all here in a moment as a family. First implication, we have to trust God with our anger, our presumptions, and those people. I'll let you fill in the gap of what, I'll let you fill in the blank about what you're angry about, about what your presumptions are. By the way, sometimes we're angry about good things, and that's not bad. Anger is not a bad thing. Depends on what we're angry at and how we're going to use our anger. I'll let you fill in the blank about your anger. I'll let you fill in the blank about your presumptions, and I will let you fill in the blank of what those people are. And we all got them. We all got them. So this idea like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I just love all people. No, we all have people that we see as less than that God's trying to teach us how to see differently. So just like David said, David said at the end of his life, he said, you know, one of the things I've learned at the end of my life, one of the things I've learned is that if I'll just give my desire for vengeance and I'll just give my presumptions and I'll just give my enemies to God, he takes care of my enemies. In fact, he might even lead my enemies to love God. That would be something, which leads to our second implication. We need to let the love of God be the love of God. We need to let the love of God be the love of God. Here's what I mean by that. We need to quit qualifying the love of God. We need to quit explaining the love of God. 
We need to quit giving all the exceptions and the asterisks to the love of God. We need to keep quit adding to the love of God. We need to quit taking away from the love of God and just let the love of God be the love of God. Like go back to the last implication. Don't say it out loud. Who were those people in your head? Don't say it out loud. Who were those people in your head? Guess what? God loves them just as much as he loves you. Doesn't, doesn't love them any less, any less than he loves you. Not one iota less. He, he loves them just as much as he loves you. If we can just let that be, like let the love of God be the love of God, that might actually teach us things. Like if God loves them that much, I feel like we should probably love them that much. It's a crazy new idea, but I remember Jesus telling us we ought to love our enemies, right? Next. This is going to require a lot of humility. Humility, properly defined, having an accurate view of self. The opposite of humility is not arrogance. It is, (laughs) arrogance is the opposite of humility. Arrogance would be thinking more of yourself. Uh, We hired somebody recently at Impact, uh, this wonderful couple. Like, they are amazing. Uh, We actually have never seen a marriage like this couple's marriage. It's unbelievable. Um, Unbelievable couple. They, we, we always, when we take somebody through assessment right before we hire them at Impact, we have 15 categories that we give them a score in just so that they understand, like, how the conversation went in some areas we think they could grow in. Their lowest score, both of them, was humility. They were the most unarrogant people you could ever meet. But they still lacked because they had a low view of themselves. Humility is having an accurate view of yourself. Let me give you an example. Through my life, through the decades that I've spent in ministry, I've come to have an awareness that one of, like, the big way I serve the body of Christ is to be a teacher. Right? Does that make sense? I mean, I hope so. Uh, Like, God's gifted me to do what I do, to use words and do those things, and that's how I bless the body of Christ. That's the role that God's called me to play in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? I would not do the body any good if I wandered around here going, no, I can't teach. No, really. You don't want me teaching. You don't want me teaching. That's... It would would also be bad if I was like, boy, am I the teacher of your dreams. (laughs) That would be bad. Equally bad. Uh, no, uh, no. Um, I have to have an understanding of what I have. If we're all going to be instructors to one another, we have to have an accurate view of what we have to offer to the body of Christ so that we can offer it. Does that make sense? Which means this last implication is true. In the body of Christ, we're all learners. My original implication said we were all teachers. And Aaron's like, you should change it to learners. And I went, <laughs> it works both ways. In the body of Christ, we're all learners. We all have something to offer. We all have to be willing to learn. I don't care who you are here this morning or how long you've been at it or how many times you failed or all that other stuff, you have something to offer the body of Christ. There are experts in forgiveness in this room. Couldn't teach, they, they lack the eloquence, they have the eloquence of a rock. But they are experts in forgiveness. We have people in this room We all have something to offer. Does that make sense? 
And again, we find ourselves at a table with some bread and some juice, reminding ourselves the body of Christ is all of us gathered around a table, brought together by the same image. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been at this. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care what gift you have. I don't care when the last time was that you failed. If it was on your way to church this morning, you screwed up big time. The thing about the Eucharist is we all gather around the table and we remind ourselves we're all a part of the family. We all have something to offer. We all have something to teach and we all have something to receive. So will we let the body of, will we let Christ be Christ in his body? That's part of what we do here. And so uh, we remind ourselves that night Jesus did a lot of things with his disciples, but one of those things is he had dinner with his disciples, and during that dinner, he took a piece of bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, he said, take and eat, this is my body, and whenever you do this, remember me, let's remember the fundamental truth of what this is all about. And then later in the meal, Jesus took a cup, He said, this is the blood of the covenant because we have an agreement. We have a relational agreement. Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant. And whenever you do this, remember. Let's remember this morning. Father God, I pray that this morning you would remind us... uh, Uh, of the unity that we want to experience in your community, Jew and Gentile, male, female, slave-free, employer-employee, citizen-immigrant, Republican-Democrat. God, whatever, we we are more divided now God, we confess. We repent, I pray, for not doing this well in your body. We repent for letting petty labels divide us. Because what you're doing is so much bigger than an election. It's so much bigger than a worldview. It's so much bigger than an ethnic group. It's so much bigger God, teach us, but remind us this morning that the way you so often want to teach us is through each other. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your compassion. We ask you to shower it on us this morning because we need it. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Real Life. If you have any questions or feedback, send us an email at comment at liferotp.com or connect with us online on Facebook or Twitter. You can also check out the Footnotes podcast accompanying today's sermon if you'd like to dig a little deeper. Romans, the Declaration, will continue next Sunday. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.